If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Hello once again, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and we begin today by traveling back in time 40 years to 1981. That Kim Carnes hit, Betty Davis Eyes, was the number one song of that year, and the top-grossing film was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Also that year, Pope John Paul II and President Ronald Reagan survived attempts on their lives. Britain's Prince Charles married Lady Diana Spencer, and America celebrated the release of hostages held in its embassy in Iran after 444 days of captivity. Good evening. 41 minutes after Ronald Reagan was sworn in as this country's 40th president, the American hostages in Iran began their flight to freedom. And that man, Walter Cronkite? Well, he retired as the nation's most trusted newscaster. I graduated high school that year, and Dr. Lauren Averill, chair of the Department of Medical Imaging at the Nemours Children's Hospital in Wilmington, well... In 1981, I was seven years old. I must have been a second grader at Erdenheim Elementary School up in Flowertown, Pennsylvania. It was in 1981 that a new Nemours associate arrived on the scene pediatric radiologist, Dr. Ted Harkey. At that time, it was a children's orthopedic hospital, and the physical structure was what's now known as the ARB building, or those of us who have been around call it the old hospital. It was the original hospital. At the time I was hired in 1981, the plans were already in place for building of the new hospital an expansion of the services from orthopedics to be a full-service children's hospital. I came as a result of being recruited by the uh, radiologist-in-chief at the time, a uh, well-known Delaware Valley radiologist named Patricia Bournes. And I had helped her do some planning for the new hospital. And she had a position approved and offered me that position with the intent that she wanted to leave and gear down on her professional life and hand things over to me if I had survived the first couple of years. She left in 83. I took over and was there at the time we finished and moved everything over to the new hospital. I was the chief then until uh, 1995. And during that period of time, from the time the new hospital opened to the time I left, we were really undergoing the expansion. In the old hospital, all we did was film-based radiology system. And in the new hospital, we went from the traditional radiology to the addition of all the other modalities, CT, ultrasound, nuclear medicine, the conversion of x-ray 
to digital imaging. We went through all of that. And after much of that decade of the 80s, we also expanded the faculty from three of us to about seven or eight. And when we hit the, the 90s, it was time to bring in MRI. So we went through that MRI. And by uh, 1995, I had decided to uh, step down as being the uh, chairman. And so my legacy was to move the hospital from the Alfred I. DuPont Institute to uh, what it was in the 90s. And that's really just a portion of Dr. Harkey's legacy. In the months that followed 9-11, the West Point grad decided to once again become active military. In 2002, he set aside his hands-on clinical practice, though remained with Nemours in a research and education capacity, combining his military work with helping to train the next two generations of pediatric radiologists, including the person who currently leads that department in Wilmington, Dr. Lauren Averill. I don't know if Dr. Harkey remembers, but I was a resident at Jefferson, and so I rotated through DuPont for my pediatric radiology rotations. And that was my first exposure to the field and what really got me interested. I mean, my experience at DuPont is, is why I went into pediatric radiology in the first place. And I recall Dr. Harkey, even though he was just doing his teaching and research, he made time to interact with the residents. And he gave a pre-test, post-test for rotations and had just all these you know, gems that you've collected over the years on regular film. You know, some of them were probably 20 years old or more cases, but they were classics. And I remember you putting them up around the room on the light boxes and we would take the quiz and then you'd go through all the cases with us. And this was purely your own time, just your joy of teaching and you know, your love of pediatric radiology, which was really infectious. And, and I do remember that. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because what we uh, wanted to be sure the residents would do once they finished their rotation was that there was a handful of cases, maybe 10 or 12 types of cases that classically appeared on the board exams, particularly the oral board exams that the residents would take as part of their certification process. And so I had collected these uh, 10 or 12 cases over the years because they seemed to recur consistently. And I did not want any of our rotating uh, residents to be embarrassed and to miss any of those cases when they took the oral board exams. Mm-hmm. Lauren didn't miss any of them. She got them all. Oh, is that right? <laughs> you remember that? So part of your work, Dr. Harkey, since leaving clinical practice has been as emeritus faculty. It sounds like this is a large part of emeritus faculty work. Talk about that and your influence over the next generation, next two generations of pediatric radiologists. Well, there's two factors here. The education piece of what we do has always been a dilemma for academic people in that you have your three-legged stool-type career where you have your, your clinical work, your education requirements, and your research. And the problem for the radiologists, particularly today's radiologists, is that they are extremely busy with the clinical component of this uh, three-legged mission. 
and the research and the teaching take away from this clinical time. And often your salary is related as much or more to your clinical work as it is to your education and research. And so there's always the issue of how we try to fulfill the research and education. And since I'm not uh, worried anymore about the clinical income side of things, I'm in a position to support the active faculty in uh, trying to help them with their research projects and in also trying to help in the education process. I would like to point out from the history of Nemours is we have always had a very strong educational program in orthopedics. Now, I'm not supposed to talk about orthopedics, but remember, we began as an orthopedic hospital, and I was heavily tied to orthopedics during all of the early years of the hospital and did a lot of work with international fellows. These are orthopedic surgeons that come from around the world to spend a year or two at DuPont doing uh, research. And early on, I realized that these were very bright people who uh, were there to learn and were very interested in research and very often overlapped with the orthopedic type imaging that we were doing. So over the years, I've spent a lot of hours working with the research fellows from orthopedics. And that's one of the things that I've continued to do in an America's status, as well as working with the radiology piece of what we do. Lauren, you've been involved in a lot of orthopedic research as well, I'm sure. Yeah, I have. And I think that that's a great strength of Nemours, which is something that you laid the groundwork for, is that interdepartmental collaboration. Both the radiology and orthopedics departments are um, always looking for ways to collaborate and work together, either clinically or in the research realm. Dr. Averill, talk about the relationship you have with the people that you educate. You're carrying forward the work of so many ahead of you, including Dr. Harkey. What's it like now educating the up-and-coming doctors? Well, you know, the pandemic has really thrown everything upside down. There's new articles coming out in the radiology literature now about what is the new normal going forward for radiology education, because we had to do a lot of it online and via WebEx or other sort of teleconferencing, which radiology lends itself to, to a certain degree. And right now we have to decide how much of that we're going to keep and how much do we really value sort of the more old fashioned, used to be at the view box, now it's at the workstation computer. I still put a lot of emphasis on the in-person readout. And now that we're all vaccinated and we're back in in the hospital, that's much easier to do. I think it's very important to maintain that true like apprenticeship style of learning and where you're shoulder to shoulder, literally, and looking at the films together because it just sparks more discussion, more rich learning for everybody involved, teacher and student. There's a term you used in in, um, your last response, and it's view box. Dr. Harkey, describe what a view box is. I'd love to talk about the switchover from analog film x-ray to digital imaging, and you were a huge part of that. Well, in the uh, early origins of of radiology, everything was based on uh, film. 
And in order to visualize the uh, image that's been captured on the film, light is uh, placed behind the film and the light uh, passes through the film and gives you the uh, shades of white to gray, black, so forth, that actually creates the X-ray image. And so this light box, so to speak, was a way of hanging the film and having the light behind it transmit so you could actually see the film. And uh, light boxes were built into big banks of boxes where you could hang multiple films at the same time. After we got dictation, you would sit in front of this bank of films hung on light box and the residents would sit around you and you would ask the residents questions. They would talk about the case. You would teach right there with the film in front of you and the, and the residents. And that was the way we worked. And so where we still talk about plain films, if, we, if I'm talking about the picture of your knee and it's a digital image, I may still inadvertently say, uh, uh, let's take a look at the plain film of your knees and we'll put it on the light box. And really, in effect, what Lauren will explain, what we're really doing. And uh, we used to have these gigantic rotators as well, which were ways to hang up to maybe 40 different sets of images. And there'd be a foot pedal and the whole bank of films would rotate back and bring up a new patient so you could more quickly go through them. And I recall some teachers teaching in that mode if he or she felt the discussion was over, but the resident was still talking, talking, they would just hit the foot pedal and next case, and then the next case would come up. Lauren, in the old days, because of the orthopedics and the scoliosis, we had two sizes of films. We had a 14 by 17 inch film was a standard large film that you used in all x-ray. It was about the size of the film that you needed to do a chest x-ray. And it was easy enough to handle. So that was the typical film. But when we do uh, scoliosis, curvature of the spine uh, types of imaging, we wanted to get the whole spine uh, in one shot. And so we used at the time 14 by 36 inch films. And that created a very long film that had to have a separate envelope. And so all our uh, patients at the hospital who were in orthopedics and it all involved in any kind of spine, had two jackets. They had a, a regular record jacket that everybody uh, would, you were familiar with, but we also had what we call long films. We had jackets that contained the 14 by 36 films. And so we had to have rotators that were different than all the other rotators. They were rotators that you could hang a 14 by 36 uh, film on. So that's part of the history, Lauren, that you may not even have been aware of. These machines were huge, and I can't even imagine how big they had to be to fit this 36-inch films on them. They were up and down panels. They weren't a rotator. They were a select yeah. panel. And when we, when we built the new hospital, we had to custom order these. We custom ordered them. They were made special for us, and we had five of them. And uh, over the years, as we uh, phased out 14 by 36 films, we eventually got rid of them. But, but we, had, we were one of the few places that ran 14 by 36 inch uh, 
films for the orthopedic uh, spine stuff. And some things have really, some of those old terms still stick with us still like the file room. You know, of course, that was a, a big operation managing all these folders of films and not losing track of them. And so there was a whole army of people who worked in the file room. But that has changed. Now it's it's IT folks. It's all computer support that we need. So the radiology department in general has really changed drastically in its physical, you know, look, but also the personnel. And I'm assuming that digital technology has helped speed up the ability to even see results from a radiological exam. Absolutely. And of course, you know, if they're digital, they they should not ever be lost. I can also remember those rotators that every once in a while it would spit out some crumpled up film that was six months old that had gotten lost in the guts of it. One of the one of the interesting downsides of, of digital imaging is that in the days of film, people had to come down to the x-ray department to uh, see the films on their patients. And so consequently, there was an automatic interaction between the doctors who ordered the uh, study and the radiologist who interpreted the study. And we used to refer to the uh, radiology or imaging department as the hub of the wheel in that almost no patient came and went from the hospital without having some type of imaging study. And so everybody in the hospital that wanted to see that would pass through the radiology department. And it fostered almost a uh, obligatory connection between the radiologist and the clinician. Now with the ability to move digital imaging anywhere, cities away or any place within the hospital, it has become less common for clinicians to come down and go over the findings on the study with the radiologists. So some of that uh, collaboration that we learned from both sides, learned from in the old days, I think has been lost. Lauren, comment? I agree. Nothing can really replace that personal interaction. So we have to continue to you know, push for it in other realms. So Nemours does a great job of fostering a lot of interdepartmental conferences and we, we put a lot of value on it. Again, it's non-interpretive time, like Dr. Harkey was saying, time away from reading studies, but it just adds so much value to the patient care and also mutual learning and just contact. Dr. Averill, talk about what the department is like today and where it's going. We have about 18 radiologists who are based here in Delaware, and we're part of the larger Nemours Enterprise Radiology Group, which is approximately 40 radiologists now. So altogether, we're one of the largest pediatric radiology groups in North America. So we've changed drastically from the orthopedic hospital of the 1980s to now a national player in pediatric radiology with 40 people. We work 24 hours a day and we do a lot of remote reading. So in the evenings and overnights, you're just as likely to have a radiologist in Florida reading your x-ray as you are a Delaware-based person. Yeah, we have several radiologists who work for us remotely full-time. One of our, we call her a Delaware person, but she's actually based in Pittsburgh. Radiology lends itself that to that the model 
And there'll be more of it going going into the future. Pediatric radiologists Dr. Lauren Averill and Dr. Ted Harkey talking about the past, present, and future of pediatric radiology at Nemours. More of our conversation with Drs. Averill and Harkey next time on the Champions for Children podcast, including a peek at Dr. Harkey's military career and his leadership in the development and adoption of ultrasound in the diagnosis and treatment of infants with developmental dysplasia of the hip. Today, it's a standard medical practice. Plus, Dr. Averill's vision for pediatric radiology here at Nemours. Please join us. The Nemours Champions for Children podcast is your podcast, that of the Nemours Associate. So let's hear from you about your Nemours story. Send your idea via email at podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org. The Champions for Children podcast is available on Nemoorsnet and the Nemours Now app, as well as your favorite podcast app and your smart speaker. As always, many thanks to our production team, Peter Adebi, Deborah Griffin, and Savannah Pettit. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. On behalf of Dr. Lauren Averill and Dr. Ted Harkey, I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Champions for Children podcast. We'll be back with more of their conversation next week. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all you do for the children we serve.